And, you know, a lot of times when we think of some of the apostles like Simon or Andrew, you know, I've heard it said before that, uh, you know, to understand the Bible and to be a, an effective disciple for Christ, you don't need necessarily to have a degree in theology because look at, you know, people like Simon and Andrew, they were just simple fishermen, you know, until Christ come along and chose them to uh, follow him and, 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 and uh, become a part of uh, his ministry while he was on earth. But Paul was different. Paul wasn't just a simple fisherman. And I don't mean to undermine Simon or Andrew, but Paul was highly educated. Paul came from a very um, uh, devout Jewish family. And uh, in order to really appreciate, again, the letter to the Galatians, we need to understand where Paul came from. So a little bit about Paul's early life. Paul was born as Saul. He's referred to in the Bible several times as Saul of Tarsus or Saul from Tarsus. And Tarsus, uh, Yancey mentioned in his lesson and showed us on the map, Tarsus was and still is today a, uh, a, a prominent place in uh, modern-day Turkey. And today there's a little over 3 million people that live in and around it. And But back when Paul lived there and Paul was born there, um, it was a much more prominent place relative, relative to the rest of the world than it is today. Uh, it was one of the largest trade centers uh, along or hubs of trade along the Mediterranean Sea. And it, um, you know, is very much like what I kind of would think of maybe like parts of Dallas, like Highland Park or areas like that, that are very rich with history. And there's a lot of really old homes that have been there a long time. And it's, there's a lot of wealth there. And, and uh, in addition to that, Tarsus was, you know, bustling with all kinds of trade and goods flowing through it. It was a very happening place. And it was well known for um, its technology and its higher education than the school there. Paul came from a very devout Jewish family. In Second Timothy, the first chapter in verse 3, Paul references this when he says that he worships with a clear conscience as his ancestors did. He relates uh, th- to having a lineage there that was uh, steeped in the Jewish traditions. And in our Galatian study in the first chapter, where we'll be referencing a few things in verse 14, he also confirms this when he says, And I advance in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. So we can see he has a a long history within uh, his Jewish family. We know that Paul went to a very prominent Jewish school. And he was taught by some of the most notable uh, Jewish uh, figures at the time. And as Christianity began to spread, Paul began persecuting Christians and he began persecuting the church. He believed he was doing the right thing. And he even admitted that he did it fervently. So here Paul was, he was raised with all these rich traditions and this history and all this that he believed in. And then Jesus comes along and is preaching that most of the things that he is holding on to so dearly are, for the most part, no longer valid. And so, you know, we can relate to that. You know, we can kind of understand that. You know, we, um, you know, if you get into politics, you know, if I was to start talking about several of the political issues that are all, all over the news right now about, you know, border and this and that and the other, it's real easy for us to start getting, you know, upset about or start to feel very prideful about how we've been raised or how we think, you know, of ourselves of, you know, whatever it is, it's just, uh, whatever, however we've been raised and whatever we've believed, we can quit, we can easily and quickly 
jump to defend that because it's um, uh, familiar to us. And that was the case with Paul when Christ and Christianity was essentially threatening what he believed in. So we can understand where he came from when he sought you know, to uh, cause harm to those preaching the gospel of Christ rather than the old law and the Jewish traditions. So again, Paul beca- uh, becomes very involved in persecuting Christians. And the first persecution that we can read about is the stoning of Stephen. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 7, and also Paul talks about it, in, or it's talked about in Acts 22, uh, about Paul being present whenever Stephen was drug out to the street and stoned. And Paul was a witness there, and he, it, the Bible says that he stood guard over the, the coats of all the people that were throwing the rocks at Stephen. Um, in Acts chapter 8, um, directly after the uh, account of the stoning of Stephen there, um, were reaffirmed about Paul's zeal for persecuting the church. In Acts 8 chapter and verse 1, it says, Now Saul was consenting, uh, Saul being Paul, uh, was consenting to his death, and that at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So we can see there that Paul was, again, very active in persecuting the church. And in Galatians, the first chapter in verse uh, 13, uh, this is reaffirmed where Paul to the Galatians says, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Paul was very zealous zealous in his uh, the active role he took in uh, persecuting the church. But then we can read about one of, in my opinion, one of the greatest comeback stories in the Bible. And we can we learn about the conversion of Paul. Paul's conversion was a very pivotal point for the early church. And as we've mentioned, you know, I believe Paul was what not something I believe it's very evident that Paul was some a guy that whatever he did, he did it all the way. And so all of that energy that he put into persecuting the churches later, as we see and we're going to see, uh, he uh, uses for the benefit and the glory of Christ. And it's, again, it's just really incredible to me uh, about how he went so far from being on one end of the spectrum to what he became, became later on. And, you know, another thing that Yancey mentioned earlier is that what Paul did 2,000 years ago directly affects us today. And his actions had a huge impact on the trajectory of the early church and where the church is today. So what happened? How was Paul converted? You can see in Acts, the ninth chapter, just an incredible story <clears throat> of what happened. In the beginning of the ninth chapter of Acts, the Bible tells us that uh, in verse 1 it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats, and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest. He was still uh, very intentionally looking to uh, hurt and harm and destroy Christians in Damascus. And so he goes to the high priest and he essentially gets the authority to travel to Damascus and to round up any Christians that he can find and bring them back 
essentially arrest them and bring them back. And so as he's traveling along to Damascus with his entourage there, the Bible tells us that a great light shone upon him. And it was such a force that it he literally fell to the ground in submission and fear. And <clears throat> Jesus says to him, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Paul says, Saul says, who are you, Lord? And then Jesus said in verse five, it says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. What is a goad? That's not a term we use uh, in today's society much. A goad was essentially just a sharp stick that farmers would use uh, to uh, poke oxen, you know, that to encourage them to go or to, you know, make them act like like they wanted them. Today, we, we don't use goads anymore. We use electrified rods to, you know, shock a cow and make it go and do what we want it to do. But a goad was something that they used, and when, a, when an oxen would kick against it, you know, from time to time, it would it would hurt the animal. And so the more that they did that, the more pressure it put on that animal to do what it is that, you know, its owner is wanting it to do. And so Jesus essentially says to him, why are you kicking against the goad? Why are you kicking against me? Why are you persecuting my church? Why are you resisting, you know, what I am uh, uh, teaching and, and spreading in Christianity? And in verse 6, uh, it, it tells us that... Uh, Paul was, he was trembling and astonished, and he asked Christ what he wanted him to do. And he told him he wanted to go into the city, which was Damascus. That's where he was traveling, and he'll be told what he wants to do. And then the Bible tells us that he was struck with a blindness, and that his uh, people led him to Damascus, and that's where he stayed for three days. And he was blind for three days. He didn't eat, didn't drink anything for three days. And then... Uh, the Lord appeared to one of the disciples there named Ananias and told him to go and to see Paul and to uh, encourage him and to let him to essentially heal his blindness and let him know he was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and Ananias later on the chapter, he said, uh, he said, Lord, I've heard of this Saul of Tarsus. I've heard of what this guy's done. And he's, you can just imagine the, I really don't want to do this. But in verse, verse, uh, verse 15, the Lord says something interesting here. He says, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And I, and this is what I find interesting in verse 16. It says, For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. The guy that created the suffering for, Christi for Christians then is the Lord is saying that he is about to suffer for his name's sake. And so... Paul goes on and, and, um, and we, we'll read a few verses in a second about, uh, the people that were there and, you know, he immediately begins to preach a little bit there and, and, uh, and then he goes on to, you know, eventually get into the missionary journeys that Yancey talked about and, and, uh, in dealing with the letters here in Galatians. But there's a few things that, uh, from our chapter in, um, in, uh, Galatians, the first chapter that I find interesting as it relates to the life of Paul and his uh, conversion. And one of those things is that, you know, the issue that they were having with the Galatians, what, what Yancey mentioned earlier was, you know, with the, the, the perversion of the gospel and trying to revert back to some of their traditions. 
you know, I don't think that there was anybody at the time probably more qualified or better fitting to address the issues in, that the Galatians were having than Paul, the guy that came, you know, from, uh, a, you know, uh, violently promoting, uh, you know, the, the removal of Christianity and, and trying to impose, you know, Jewish law on, on um, the Christians there. And so there's probably no one more fitting to, to address that issue in Galatians. <clears throat> have you ever, um, do you, have you ever felt like, you know, and obviously what the Bible says is that, that the Lord selected Paul intentionally. And so I wondered, you know, have you ever, um, felt like someone or uh, a group of people were put in your life, you know, to change the course of your direction or, uh, you know, to influence you in a certain way, or maybe you have been, you know, introduced to people and, you know, there's, and I believe that I have and that, that I do and that, you know, people come into our lives and, and all that to, uh, to influence us. And, uh, and I'm not going to get into stories about it, but I can tell you a lot of stories about my own life where it's just these crazy rabbit trails, you know, of things that happened and led me to this and whatever. And, and, uh, things that, that needed to happen in order to, um, you know, uh, create a result that, uh, that, that God would, would want, you know, me to, uh, eventually be involved with. But, you know, really, I think there's, uh, all the people that I've talked to, you know, about that subject, there's really two ends of the spectrum. There's, um, one end that, you know, God is not at all involved in our lives. He doesn't, you know, allow people to come into our life that everything is time and chance. And I, the Bible talks about that. And I believe that to a certain degree, but then there's on the far other end of the spectrum where, uh, I know people that believe that every little thing that happens that God directly, you know, is walking around with his, you know, blessing wand and everything, you know, down to the parking space that was available at Walmart was because God, God saved that parking space for them. And, and, uh, and I, and people, I know people that really believe that stuff. And so there's really two ends of the spectrum and I find myself somewhere in the middle. But, um, I, as I was thinking about this, I thought about, uh, a guy that many of you here probably knew his name was, uh, Jerry Nall. He passed away several years ago and, um, he, uh, was, uh, I believe an evangelist. He, he traveled around a lot. He came and spoke in orange a lot when I was a, a kid, but Jerry had, uh, some type of cancer for a long, long time. And he would, uh, get really, really sick. And, and this happened multiple times. He would get really sick and the doctors said he'd have a few days to live and hospice would come in and he was just, you know, just almost at the point of dying. And then, the next thing you know, he's up out of bed walking around and, you know, back to life to normal. And that happened. It seemed like, you know, several times, I mean, just miraculous recovery. And then he was on. And I remember a conversation, my grandpa was talking to him and he said, my grandpa said, you know, I'm trying to figure this out. You know, there must be some unfinished business, you know, God, there must be somebody that God wants you to go talk to. Uh, other, cause you know, you're, you, you've been having this miraculous recoveries over and over. And Jerry, uh, I remember he said, yeah, you know, I think I've, I've been thinking the same thing and I think I got it figured out. I think I know who I'm supposed to go talk to before, you know, he's going to finally let me, you know, go on and, and leave this life. And, and, uh, I just, that always, I remember that from a long time ago and it was always, uh, um, very remarkable in my mind. But my point in telling you all this is, you know, there's people that you come across 
in your life that they're people that you know that you know are in your circle of influence that are maybe dealing with a plethora of different problems or whatever it may be and there may not be anybody more fitting than you to help them with that and we just have to look for those open doors and those opportunities to uh use the the word to uh, enhance people's lives and to help them uh, help the word guide them through problems or whatever it is that they're dealing with in life. There may not be somebody more fitting than you than they know to help them with that. So I find that interesting. The other thing, um, really two points that I try to condense the one, something I find interesting is uh, what Paul did directly after his conversion. You know, Paul didn't, I mean, Paul made a very hard pivot in his <laughs> in his uh, behavior, in his actions. But Paul didn't, uh, uh, it, it tells us in, in uh, Acts chapter 9, if we continue to read, that, that he immediately, after his conversion, his time there in Damascus, that he preached and that people were, you know, obviously astonished because, you know, the guy that was running around, rounding up Christians and killing them was now preaching the gospel of Christ. But we can read in Galatians where Paul himself talks about how he took, some time and went away and really retooled himself and learned and, and, um, and, and digested, you know, the gospel. And then he went out and really, uh, began, uh, traveling aggressively and, and completed all the missionary journeys that we're going to look at, you know, throughout the coming weeks. Um, but in relation to that, I, that was just something I find interesting, but in relation to that, I want you to think about how the Christians felt whenever Paul showed up you know, at their church to preach to them. And they knew, you know, for the most part, they're going to know who this guy was. Cause again, he was a very prominent person in, in the Jewish community and, and people feared him. Um, uh, in fact, in, uh, in Acts chapter nine, uh, I believe it's down in, uh, in verse 26, it says, and what Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe he was a disciple. You know, he thought that they were trying to trick them into thinking that, you know, he was one of them so that he could kill them. And so can you imagine being one of those Christians and, and uh, in walks Paul and, you know, how uneasy or the fear that, you know, would come from that. And I started thinking about that with us. You know, we, uh, we, or at least I, I say, I, I speak for myself here, I tend a lot to be a little bit, uh, you know, if, if people are too different than me, I sometimes allow, you know, just maybe not so much a fear, but, you know, I, we tend to hang with people that are very similar to us and, you know, you can look around the world and, you know, demographically how the world, you know, is, is kind of, uh, settled. And you can see that to be the truth that that's just kind of human nature a little bit. But I think that fear of, let me relate it this way. You know, if we were sitting here and, you know, Osama bin Laden or, you know, Saddam Hussein or one of those guys, you know, that used to be, uh, really active in, in, in their faith and, and, uh, uh, killing, you know, Christians and people in their countries, if they walked in and sat on the back few, imagine the fear that that would, you know, uh, generate within us. And, but more specifically to the point I'm trying to make, that fear can, hinder us from being the light that we are called to be and uh, uh, uh just a quick personal story that uh, kind of relates to this is rachel and i have lived in an apartment complex in plano for about a year and the floor that we lived on um 
I, I wasn't there. She was home one day and there was a knock at the door and, uh, she answered the door and it was a, a Muslim couple that had moved in just a few doors down from us. And they had, and I think it was called, uh, Noah's pudding or something like that. And in their tradi- in their, in their, um, traditions, whenever they move to a new city or a new place, they have to go a certain distance from their dwelling and they have to greet all of their neighbors with this, um, I think it was called Noah's pudding, but essentially it's what they think that, uh, Noah and his family would have eaten, been able to gather up right after they got off the ark. And so that's part of their culture and something they do. And so I came home and Rachel was telling me about this, you know, what they had done. And I was like, I'm not eating that, you know, <laughs> I, I was, yeah. Mad on that, you know, and, and I was just like, uh, you know, I honestly felt kind of uneasy that, you know, they lived, you know, a few doors down. And, um, so one day Rachel and I, when we had first moved in, our, our apartment was only like 615 square feet and there was a desk that Rachel wanted to put in the apartment. And I told her, I said, it's not going to fit. There's nowhere for it. You know, you're not thinking through this. And sure enough, after it sat there for a few weeks, she wanted to haul it down to the garage because there was no place for it. And, uh, and we're, we're carrying this thing and Rachel's kind of struggling on one end and the elevator opens and the Muslim guy walks up and he's like, Oh, here, you know, let me help you. And so he took Rachel's and helped us all the way around down to the garage. And so I got to talk to him a little bit. And from that, we had several discussions and then we ended up eating dinner at their house. They invited us over to dinner and his wife made a, uh, a traditional Turkish meal, which was unbelievable. And we, uh, had the opportunity before we ate to sit in their, um, it's kind of part of their culture to sit before a meal and to have Turkish tea. And so we got to sit and I don't remember how the conversation came up, but we ended up in this guy's home having a discussion about the Bible and the Quran and just, you know, not very non-confrontational, just very surface level. But this is kind of what my book says about this. You know, it was like, as it relates to the behavior of society. He was talking about how society and culture in uh, Turkey is much different than here. And we were just talking through all that. And, you know, we actually became really good friends with him and nothing's really ever, we've moved and kind of lost communication with him. But my point in telling you all that is, is my initial thought in this, with this guy is, you know, he's so different from me and, and I kind of know enough about their culture and what they think about Christians. And, and, uh, you know, I don't really want to have anything to do with it. And I was a miss for that because, you know, Rachel and I had the opportunity, whether, you know, as small as it was to plant, you know, a seed with them and whether, you know, maybe they move back to Turkey and meet somebody or whatever, however their life unravels. I'm hoping that, you know, the seed that I, we planted with them, uh, will, will eventually, you know, cause them to think about us and, you know, maybe some small influence that we had with them. And so, you um, my, you know, I just thought about that as it relates to the fear that people had about Paul and how he had to really overcome some, some serious obstacles to get people to trust him and to, uh, to listen to him as he began to preach the gospel. So that really wraps up, uh, what, what I wanted to share with you about Paul's life, you know, from his early life to his conversion. And then, um, as it relates here to his letter to the Galatians, I think next Sunday, Jeremy, I believe is going to talk a little bit more specifically about, um, him carrying the gospel, uh, to the Galatians. So, um, if there's any way the church can help anybody, we'd ask that you come as we uh, stand and sing.